This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. The story of Christian persecution in Nigeria is not a new story. It's been in the media for decades now. So why, with the massacre of Christians over the Christmas weekend, is media coverage so thin? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate, and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Why aren't these massacres in Nigeria a mainstream news story? This is something, as you kind of said in the intro, I've been following this for, gosh, I guess I really started paying attention to news coverage of religious persecution of Christians and other religious minorities in Africa. I started following this in the mid-1990s, and it's never stopped. It's never gone away. This is something that writers like Nina Shea and Paul Marshall have written entire books about this situation. And for a brief period of time, we had a very powerful national-level columnist who made this a strong concern, and that was the late Abe Rosenthal, the legendary editor of the New York Times and a Pulitzer winner for his coverage of the Balkans long ago. We had Abe Rosenthal writing about this, kind of a secular Jewish man, but he was very concerned about religious freedom and religious liberty and First Amendment issues and very consistent in not wanting to see any religious minorities punished for their beliefs anywhere in the world. And he just wrote about it and wrote about it and wrote about it. And some people believe that's why eventually the Times cut him off and ended his column, even though he was the former editor of the entire newspaper. So it's a complicated story. Why don't they cover it? We can also ask a question why the story receives very little attention in most Christian media in America, with the exception, notably, of the Catholic press. But I think, to some degree, this is a classic example of a religious story about a controversial conflict in a complex nation, in a part of the world that American readers don't care about a lot, and it doesn't help at all that it's extremely dangerous to cover this story, and that in the kind of financial apocalypse of the American newsroom, almost no one has bureaus now in Nigeria and in key parts of Africa. Hardly any American news organizations would spend the hundreds of thousands of dollars it would take to have a bureau in Lagos and in that section of the world. I mean, so uh, it's, a, it's a perfect storm, but at the heart of it is a belief that the story just isn't all that important because this is just one of those conflicts between Christians and Muslims. They've gone on forever, and 
the press. If you read any coverage about it, you find out the press believes that the battle in Nigeria is essentially political, that it's economic. And I have even heard people say, well, the real cause of these massacres is global warming because it's changing sections of the nation from agrarian to land that's better suited for cattle. And so we have battles between Christians who are predominantly farmers and Fulani militant Muslims who are predominantly ranchers. And this is all about money and global warming. But meanwhile, people die and die and die, like up to 50,000 in the last decade. It's the story that won't end. That sounds to me like bending over backwards to avoid the religion angle in this thing. It's not bending over backwards if you don't have an audience that is crying out for coverage of the story. If your audience, remember we're in this world now where what matters is providing the product that your readers want. And do you think the readers of elite blue zip code publications like the Washington Post and the New York Times, and even to some degree, the Wall Street Journal, the major networks, NPR, do you think their readers are saying, gosh, we really, during the Christmas season, want to hear about Christians being slaughtered in, where's Nigeria? Oh, it's somewhere in Africa. Oh, the, uh, what? It's not a story that anyone is crying out for except the usual suspects. And that would be Christians, etc. If you do a Google search, I'd urge our listeners to do this. Go to Google and do a search for Nigeria, comma, Christmas, comma, 2023, comma, massacre or killings. Massacre, I think, is the word that's in a lot of the stories. Do that search and then look what shows up under news, and you will see that this is a Catholic story and a conservative story. And that doesn't describe the mainstream press in America in any sense of the word. What I'm curious about is it fits within the context. It's a terrible end of one spectrum of what the U.S. does pay a lot of attention to, and that's human rights abuses in the world. We get a report every year well, from the State Department. And, and even I'll give them credit that there are groups that we think of as old school liberal activists on human rights that have continued to monitor Nigeria and other parts of Africa. The real hot spot in the 90s was Sudan, and Sudan has not gone away, but it's less apocalyptic than it was when you too wrote a number one song about it where the streets have no name, which is packed with metaphors coming out of Sudan when Bono and his wife made an illegal secret visit to visit persecuted Christians in Sudan. But you end up with things like this. This is from a Fox News report written by a veteran African correspondent. But of course, it's Fox News, which labels it. And listen to this quote. The State Department spokesperson told Fox News Digital, no group has claimed responsibility for the attacks, and we cannot confirm the perpetrator's motivations. Religious freedom is a key U.S. 
foreign policy priority and plays a prominent role in our continued engagement with the Nigerian government. We continue to have concerns about religious freedom in Nigeria, and we will work with the government of Nigeria to address religious freedom issues and to ensure all human rights are protected, including the freedom of religion or belief. Now, you scroll down in that story, and you have people on the ground saying the Nigerian government is taking part in the attacks, claiming that there are actual military groups involved in protecting the militants and attacking them. It's amazing and very consistent that, like I said, this has been going on for years. But it's important to realize, and if listeners don't hear me say anything about this, let me stress this. This is affecting moderate Muslims and Muslims who oppose jihad and Islamism as a kind of a political, violent political philosophy. This is affecting Muslims in parts of Nigeria as well as Christians. It's also important to remember the geography of Nigeria, which is that the northern part of Nigeria is overwhelmingly Muslim. There are Christian villages up there. I believe that the case that got so much attention a number of years ago with the kidnapping of large numbers of Christian children, of girls, that was, I believe, in northern Nigeria. But By the way, very few of those girls were ever released. They were all married into Islamist families, etc. Then you have South Nigeria, which is overwhelmingly Christian and includes fervent, rapidly growing churches in almost every Christian tradition, but certainly in Catholicism and kind of evangelical and charismatic Anglicanism and Pentecostal megachurches and stuff. I just recently a week or two ago, saw a story about the number of priests from Africa that are ending up on the altars of churches in America, because America doesn't have priests, but the growing churches of Nigeria and Kenya and elsewhere have lots of priests. And so you're kind of beginning to have missionaries in reverse come to the United States, which, by the way, would not be a bad hook for a news story related to what happened in Nigeria at Christmas. So you have predominantly Christian South, predominantly Muslim North, then in the middle you have this kind of militarized zone of just horror stories of overlap between the two. That's where a lot of this violence occurs is in central Nigeria and in these pockets of Christians that remain in northern Nigeria. And to put it in context, we're dealing here with militants far out of the mainstream of Islam, even, that we're literally talking about a branch of the Islamic State and ISIS. So that should give people some idea of the degree of violence that we're talking about. But listeners, please do that search of Google News and then look at what you see. And what you'll find is that this is a religion story for religious publications, or it's a conservative story. And that was true during the Trump years as well as during the Biden years. You had mentioned Nina Shea and several others who had written right. books or really kind of sacrificed their careers on this story. Tell us a little bit more. Well, Nina Shea is a Catholic activist, which is interesting. You'll frequently see her identified as an evangelical in press reports. She's actually Catholic, but she hangs out a lot with evangelicals who are concerned about this. And Paul Marshall, a friend of mine, a scholar on religious freedom issues, 
written an entire book on the subject of blasphemy laws and the impact of blasphemy laws on moderate Islam, as well as Christians around the world. And the author of the famous book, Their Blood Cries Out, which in the late 90s began to put this issue on the front burner for religious publications and to church leaders at least, to some degree. But the Rosenthal story is in many ways the key to all of this. And Rosenthal wrote, multi, I mean, two dozen columns or 30 columns in a couple of years before he was, frankly, in my opinion, silenced. And I have a connection to that story and talked to Abe Rosenthal about that because a Jewish activist, Michael Horowitz, at the Hudson Institute in 1976 sent Abe Rosenthal a copy of a column that I had written called Christian Persecution. And once again, think of how long ago this was, 1996. And the lead on that column, it shook Horowitz up. He called me, and then this is early days of the Internet. He faxed Abe Rosenthal a copy of the column. And the lead was, it's possible to buy a Christian slave in southern Sudan for as little as $15. Last year's going rate for parents who want to buy back their own kidnapped child was five head of cattle, about $400. A boy might cost 10 head. And it goes into some of the Catholic bishops' conference reports and stuff. This shook Abe Rosenthal up, and he started writing about the topic. And once again, listeners can find some of his columns online. The February 11 column, 1997, is simply called Persecuting the Christians. And he notes how Horowitz, as he put it, screamed me awake. I thought that was a powerful phrase. He screamed me awake on this issue. Horowitz had told me that he literally called Rosenthal up and just yelled at him on the telephone and said, you care about human rights. You care about religious liberty write about this. And he faxed him my column. And not long after that, I talked to Abe Rosenthal, and I used some quotes from that when I wrote my obituary for Rosenthal when he died in 2006. And it's kind of a, a haunting quote from my conversation with him. He was also had agreed to write the foreword to the book Blind Spot When Journalists Don't Get Religion which a number of people involved in the media project wrote, kind of applying the methodology of the Get Religion website to more of an academic, scholarly approach to writing about some of these issues. And Rosenthal, he just couldn't understand why journalists didn't, his words, get that story, unquote. And this quote was memorable to me and very important in my own life. You don't have to be a rabbi or a minister to get this story. You just need to be a journalist. You have to be able to look at the numbers of people involved and then look at the other stories that are linked to it. Why are journalists missing this? Abe Rosenthal. And that was in 96, 97, right in that time period when he and I had one or two short telephone conversations about this. And that was one of the things that led me a few years later to create the website Get Religion. Terry, what does this story have to do with closing Get Religion? 
Well, I don't think we've—did I mention that we're closing at Religion earlier? I don't know if I alluded to that or not, but we are closing on the 20th anniversary of our founding, and that would be February the 2nd. Is We have published new material on every single day for 20 years. We're going to close on February 2nd. There'll be a number of short essays written by some readers of the blog, and I'll write a final piece. The first piece in the history of Get Religion was entitled, Why We Do What We Do. And the last piece will be entitled, Why We Did What We Did. I think the Nigeria story is a perfect example of why Get Religion exists and why we've worked so hard on this project, the dozen or more writers that have taken part in the website. I mean, to some degree, Get Religion grew out of my concerns about this story, the persecution of religious minorities in other parts of the world, and the press, as Abe Rosenthal saying, just they don't get it. And I struggle to talk about it much more than that, except to say that for reasons that we've discussed on this podcast, the economic structures of our media today just don't make it smart for people to do coverage of subjects that their readers are not interested in. Biased, one-sided, narrow coverage is good business in an Internet age where the Internet divides us into narrower and narrower groups. And you've asked me a number of times, well, what are people supposed to do? This is a classic example. They're going to have to follow Catholic media in particular, like Crux and the Catholic News Agency and EWTN Network, a great website called The Pillar. You're going to have to follow some of these if you're concerned about the slaughter of Christians and others in different parts of the world. This problem is getting worse in some parts of the world, and it's not going to go away. And I don't know what it would take to put it on the front page of our major newspapers. If people being killed at Christmas services by armed militants sweeping into their congregations and mowing them down with machine guns, if that isn't a news story, I don't know what is. The fact that they do this almost every year at Christmas. Look up previous massacres on Christmas. Look at massacres on Easter. You know, Christian holidays are focal points for these attacks. And that, to me, if anything, makes it easier for the press to write about these in terms of thinking, well, readers would be interested in knowing that people went to Christmas services and got massacred. So I can get rather emotional about this. And I find it interesting that in many cases, Jewish human rights activists have been at the heart of fighting for coverage of this topic and of activism on behalf of Christians and other minorities on this topic. Conservative Catholics have been at the forefront of trying to get this covered. And yes, there are evangelicals, like Paul Marshall is an evangelical Anglican. There are people that know the world church and have fought to try to get this story covered. But once again, this year, I went looking for mainstream coverage of this topic related to the Christmas massacres and found it at Fox News. And that's pretty much it. And Catholic publications. 
one of the goals was to highlight uh, the lack thereof or the the holes in in religion coverage. The other uh, goal of Get Religion was to advocate for what you call the American model of the press. Yeah. What is it? And that's been a part of our conversation now for a, uh, at least a decade, how that model is slowly at first, yeah. but then very quickly fading away. Yeah, I just, for reasons that are technical, getting ready to archive the Get Religion website, and the website will be archived. It will remain online. The estimate is 20 million words will remain online as a searchable database. We're trying to find an academic home for that archive. And I'll continue writing, of course, the On Religion column. And the Crossroads podcast will continue with Lutheran Public Radio. It'll still be at iTunes in the Apple podcast sections. And it will also start appearing at the website called Religion Unplugged, where the editor of that publication is Clementi Lisi, a byline listeners would recognize immediately as our Catholic news specialist to get religion. So a lot of things will continue, but the daily reporting and following of this topic at Get Religion will stop after 20 years. So what about the American model of the press? Oh, thank you for reminding me. The American model of the press, the basic idea was that you had one newspaper, and because for advertising concerns, groceries, cars, department stores, whatever, you should have news that appealed to everyone in your community or in your culture. And that you bundled, that's the big word, bundled all the news together into one product, and you tried to be fair to everyone. And the word objectivity gets used a lot. I prefer simple accuracy, fairness, and balance. But the internet, with its tremendous impact on advertising and the tremendous collapse of newspaper and hard news publication advertising, like three or four major big tech companies now dominate 75 to 80 percent of all online advertising, like Google, Facebook, YouTube, etc. So more and more news publications have had to focus on a specific audience and, as I would say, preach what those choirs want to hear. You and I talked about the piece I wrote six months ago for the Religion and Liberty Journal run by Acton Institute. And when I was writing that piece, I could already see the seriousness of what was happening to the business model and that this was going to end up making the work of Get Religion into some degree futile, that American readers no longer expect publications to try to treat both sides of complex issues carefully, accurately, and in a balanced manner. So the economics have broken down and killed the American model of the press. And what we have now is niche publications preaching to niche choirs of readers. You might remember when I spoke at the Issues Conference over, what, two years now, two and a half years ago? I said that we're all living now in concrete bunkers, silos of information, people call it, and we're only paying attention to the people we want to hear tell us that what we believe is already right. To break out of the silo requires a lot of care, information, and energy to go out there and get the information you need to be an informed Christian believer, an informed citizen, or just a, an informed news consumer. What does that mean for the 
because the media now is pervasive. Back in the day when you could get a morning and evening paper, my dad took both of the Dallas papers. One came in the morning. It mm-hmm. had a certain viewpoint that was fairly clear. The other one came in the evening. It had a, a different viewpoint that was fairly clear. But now it's as though, and they were both striving to be, as you say, accurate and balanced insofar as they could. What happens to the future of, of the press when this new economic model is setting an entirely uncharted course? We don't know. And I think, as I argued in that piece for Acton at Religion and Liberty, in my personal opinion, this is one of the primary factors that is tearing American culture in half. How do you have a legislative form of government when nobody can even agree on what's accurate or factual or newsworthy? How do you debate toward compromise on controversial issues when neither side is reading any of the same information? And not only that, actively distrusts the news sources of the other side. You know, like wave your hand and dismiss, oh, that's on Fox News. Oh, that's on National Public Radio. Oh, that's the Daily Wire. Oh, that's the Boston Globe. That's how we do now. And it's as David French in Divided We Fall is his thesis statement. There's nothing in America now in terms of technology, news, entertainment, business. There's nothing now that's uniting us more than it's pulling us apart. And I believe at the heart of that is this terrible economic change at the heart of our news industry. But I don't see anything at this point that can fix it. But at the very least, we're going to need to see conservative organizations, conservative schools, and I'm using conservative there primarily in a religious sense. We're going to have to see donors and funders get more involved in creating new media sources of information, which will, of course, immediately be labeled as liberal or conservative, whatever liberal and conservative mean. But I'm having to switch my entire approach to thinking about journalism away from the American model of the press and toward new models where we can try to prove to readers and viewers that we're giving them information they can trust. And that's a completely different challenge. I've gone through, I'll be honest with it to listeners, I've gone through kind of a period of grief about this. And it's time, though, to face the fact that this is the economic and technological reality we face. And that's why we're closing Get Religion. Terry Mattingly is a senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.